0: I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others, instead of allowing it to transform them
1: and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story? And what's the point?
0: One of us will
1: prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller.
0: So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our
1: world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Jonathan, how are you doing today? Good, Seth. It's good to see your beautiful face. I wish everyone could see your beautiful face.
0: Maybe we should record the video for one of these one time.
1: Maybe. But then I have to look better than I look normally. When yeah, recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving, moving on
0: from looking better, I have a very special. I almost said a very particular question. It is a particular question. <laughs> but a very special question. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to gain 1 million Instagram and Twitter followers or would you want a free lifetime supply of Winnie's dog food? Oh, man.
1: (laughs) Well, we're pretty sure they discontinued Winnie's dog food, so we're trying to figure out how to transition her to something new. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, question. Is this my lifetime supply or winnie's lifetime supply oh good question
0: i was thinking winnie's but let's go your life it's up the stakes (laughs) you could also you could also use this lifetime supply post winnie
1: well if that's the case then i think i would go with instagram followers because presumably i'm going to outlive winnie by a long time (laughs) That's a lot of dog food that I don't know what I'm going to do with unless I get another dog. But that's too much to think about right now. And instead, with my additional followers on Twitter and Instagram, I will probably be able to quit my job and become an influencer full time. And then I can just buy her all the dog food she wants. In reality, I could probably buy her some steaks and cook them up as kebabs or as whole steaks, depending on her preference. Just feed her that instead of whatever her kibble's made of. Anyways, rant over. Give me the followers.
0: My favorite part of the rant was whether you were going to make her steak or kebabs depending on her preference. And I was wondering how you were going to determine
1: which one was her favorite. You put a steak on the ground, you put a kebab on the ground. See which one she eats first. Or is she saving the best for last? no she doesn't have that she doesn't have that kind of (laughs) self-control yeah Marshall doesn't either this reminds me of a story that i had to edit out of a previous podcast of our friend's dog named buddy they cooked him a steak for a special occasion it was like an eight ounce steak and he just like swallowed the thing whole oh my gosh they'd watch him for a couple days but he was fine he was a happy boy I think I would take the dog food, as weird as that is. Wait, you would get a lifetime supply of my dog's dog food? Oh, well, Marshall is it... Marshall would eat oh, okay. it. He does not you just, care. <laughs> you just asked the question of Winnie's dog
0: food. Yeah, I did. But Marshall eats anything. I don't think he chews. So that, like, what, how it tastes and what its size is is irrelevant
1: to Marshall. But mm-hmm. I just think that the followers would go to my head. Oh, I fully anticipate that would be the case for me. I don't think we'd be friends anymore. I don't think you could stand me anymore. But at least I wouldn't be surrounded by mountains of dog food. <laughs> okay. That feels like an unfair comparison, because I would rather still be your friend than then, then have, have then to be deal with a lot of dog food. <laughs> <laughs> We need to move on to the scripture. We We're it apart.
0: <laughs> okay, if you'll read it for us, Jonathan, and try and of course get, that'll help us get back on track.
1: Let's hope so. This is Job, chapter one, verse one, and then chapter two, verses one through ten. A man in the land of Uz was named Job. That man was honest, a person of absolute integrity. He feared God and avoided evil. One day, the divine beings came to present themselves before the Lord. The adversary also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to the adversary, Where have you come from? The adversary answered the Lord, From wandering throughout the earth. The Lord said to the adversary, Have you thought about my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a man who is honest, who is of absolute integrity, who reveres God and avoids evil. He still holds on to his integrity even though you incited me to ruin him for no reason. The adversary responded to the Lord, Skin for skin, people will give up everything they have in exchange for their lives. But stretch out your hand and strike his bones and flesh. Then he will definitely curse you to your face. The Lord answered the adversary, There he is, within your power. Only preserve his life. The adversary departed from the Lord's presence and struck Job with severe sores from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. Job took a piece of broken pottery to scratch himself and sat down on a mound of ashes. Job's wife said to him, are you still clinging to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job said to her, you're talking like a foolish woman. Will we receive good from God, but not also receive bad? In all this, Job didn't sin with his lips. Okay, really getting into Job here. First off, why did you go with the Common English Bible?
0: Many translations, instead of using the adversary, will say either Satan or sometimes the Satan. And I think that the Satan is a little bit better because this is less of a name and more of a title. But I think that the adversary, as the CEB renders it, is maybe the best way to think about this person's job title. At least in the book of Job the Satan is anybody who who indicts who kind of causes some type of chaos and conflict and it's only much later kind of in the development of theology that we get this this like singular divine being that we think of as Satan so I I yeah. particularly picked the CEB because of the way that it renders that as more
1: accurate than just satan yeah i know when i learned that satan wasn't a name of a character in the bible but just like a transliteration of a hebrew word that came from this passage i was like wait a minute (laughs) a lot of what i was told in church was probably not that accurate (laughs) (laughs) this is a relatively short passage but a
0: lot happens here is there anything in particular that jumps out at you
1: yeah i am curious to know kind of what or remember because i'm sure i've heard this story some point before but i'm curious to remember what happens kind of on either side of this passage because it it sounds like at the beginning through the first paragraph that things are escalating from something that already happened even though it also feels like it's happening for the first time i don't know if that distinction makes sense I think it was from verse three at the end, where the Lord says to the adversary, Still holds on to his integrity, even though you incited me to ruin him for no reason. And it feels so it feels like the adversary has already made one of these proposals to God, and Job has passed the test. So I'm curious to remember what happens on either side. I also think it's striking to see Job sitting down in ashes. Just like scratching at the sores of his body
0: hmm. with
1: a piece of broken pottery. That's just a really sad image. And I don't say that in like a, ha, look how sad it is, but like literally that just sounds miserable and to- like he's totally dejected. It's just a really yeah. powerful image. What
0: comes right before this is I think the part that most people actually remember about the prologue to Job. It's before this the adversary has a very similar conversation with God he says I'm like I'm going to test this guy and I'm going to try and break him so he the adversary destroys all of Job's livestock which doesn't cause Job to like give up his faith to curse God so then the adversary kills all of his children or causes them all to die which is terrible so I I think that's the part That most people remember. And it's the next step. That the adversary says well. Let me try and take. His own health. And see if that will be. Kind of the breaking point. And that's what we get. In our passage today.
1: I can only think of the words. Of Ron Burgundy. (laughs) Well. That escalated quickly. (laughs) Thanks Ron.
0: I just want to make kind of a. A general note, I guess, just like we talked about Esther last week and a little bit about the book. I just want to kind of set the stage here for both the book as a whole, but also the way that the lectionary splits it apart. So the lectionary covers Job in four different readings over the next four Sundays. So this would be the first one. And then we get kind of a sample of Job's complaint to or against God next week in it's chapters 23 verses one through nine and then the next week we hear some of god's response to job in chapter 38 verses one through seven and then on the fourth sunday we hear the very end of job and what's kind of a book end and we hear about job's restoration to health and he his livestock are returned and his he gets a new family and that all takes place uh, in chapter 42. So over the next four Sundays, what, what we kind of get from the lectionaries is little snippets. But it's an attempt to kind of sample what the whole book has to offer us. So I just wanted to add that. that What we have right now is is the very beginning. It's like the appetizer to the rest of the lectionary's four weeks. Yeah,
1: and to, and to do four weeks for a 42 chapter long book <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a gross injustice but it is agreed it explains kind of why the you know the weird togetherness of the first verse together with these first 10 verses in chapter two as well interesting i, I think the other the other piece of that too that i appreciate is the way that the lectionary explores this book as a whole It does kind of correspond with how, I think, if we are familiar with Job, how we talk about it. It's like, Job had a lot. He lost it all. He complains about it. God responds and then restores everything. But it also kind of stretches us beyond that narrative a little bit, too. Because it takes us a little bit longer to pay attention and say uh, that we are going to make space for... In our worship and in our theology for these conversations about hey does where does our suffering come from and where does god factor into all of that as well i think job stands out to me in the hebrew bible especially though in how it talks about evil and suffering because job is portrayed as this person who's never done anything wrong right we read that at the very beginning honest, a person of absolute integrity. He feared God and avoided evil. When you hear that kind of repetition, it's like adding an exclamation point to whatever point you're trying to make. And it's four ways of saying, he's a good dude. He didn't do anything to deserve this. And it ends with God saying, I'm God, you're not. You need to understand that, that sometimes things happen that you you may not deserve. And the whole argument between Job and his friends during the book is like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And his friends are like, you must have done something to deserve this. Because that's the narrative that we hear in other places in the Hebrew Bible, especially It's like people get what they deserve. Like you reap what you sow. And the book of Job just seems to take that understanding and just throw it up in the air and see what lands, you know, you have me thinking about where else we hear this idea that
0: if someone suffers, well, of course they did something wrong. Like, I'm wondering about the ways that that comes back, not only in the Hebrew Bible, but
1: the ways that comes back even now, too. Yeah, it it almost gives you the feeling of... Well, honestly, I think about people in this situation where something horrible or tragic has happened to them, or honestly, more often, something that like might feel hard but isn't actually that bad um but to them in the moment it feels like a real struggle and the statement like what did i do to deserve this it's like this jobian (laughs) jobian defense of of sorts like i've lived a good life why should i have to have to pay and i don't know and I've, i've heard that excuse is a defense for a lot of things especially among white people for some reason we have this value like If we can say of ourselves or of our neighbor, we're a good person, I'm a good person, but we don't have any, like, measurable (laughs) standard to which we're judging that, that that is supposed to excuse us from ever experiencing anything that we don't think we deserve. Yeah, we get to make that comment
0: and set the standard about whether we've cleared the bar, that that good person bar. And of course when we set the bar, we make it every time, right? Yeah, I think I've I've probably used that phrase hopefully half jokingly when I go to the grocery store and like all the, there's like no parking spaces. It's like I have to park way out and I'm like, oh, "What did I do to deserve this?" <laughs> like, <laughs> which is which is not the situation. Which is not a yeah. comparable situation to have to finds himself
1: and I'm also thinking about like not to go too serious too quickly too but I'm also thinking of situations I'm especially thinking of situations when I was working as a hospital chaplain when I was with families that asked that question and had more of an experience like Job Mm. think of the family I was with with a grandmother who just lost her grandson in a car accident For them, those questions ring a little bit more true, but they still highlight, you know, joking or in a serious way, they highlight how we look at good and bad things happening in the world and expect some sort of systemic input and output. Mm, It's like, I do good things, therefore I deserve good things. A lot of the privilege that is behind that I think isolates us from the reality of other experiences that are consistently more like Job's that have still no tangible thing they can point to to say, oh, I did that bad thing, and I therefore I deserve this. When in reality, the things that lead to those tragic things are things like being born in poverty or being born with a certain skin color or being born with a certain gender identity that folks have nothing to do with, you know, like it's not it's not a result of them doing bad things. It is a result of the way we have ordered mm-hmm. our world.
0: We see often in kind of these these more extreme situations, if I can use that term of, of what I'll call real suffering, not the grocery store parking lot type of suffering. but in, yeah, <laughs> but in the real situations of anguish, that those like job situation, people have no way of explaining, Based on their behavior, those happen even when people have seemingly done nothing wrong. Either by their standards or by kind of the majority. It's something that they can't choose. And of those different kind of markers that you talked about, I always think that those are also what's on my driver's license. And that there's this weird irony that I didn't pick any of those. I only speak for myself. Mm because I think now and this is this is positive that you can you can change some of them but it, it requires like an enormous amount of paperwork and like legal battles almost but kind of the things that just come on my driver's license my name and my my sex and even my height like those were all given to me I didn't get to choose them but they also reflect kind of who who I am and what's open to me in the world, what I can do and can't do. My height less so than some of the others.
1: Yeah. but <laughs> And I also think, Seth, about how the converse of what we're talking about also adds to an interesting dynamic here, that people who do what are widely accepted as harmful, shameful, bad things get away with it too and often a lot of the the dynamics that we just talked about a lot of the demographics to put it really technically those have a role to play there as well that it feels like bad things happen to good people to use that false dichotomy and also that a lot of good things happen to a lot of bad people and i and i think what I appreciate about Job is how much it turns that, that system, that dichotomy that's evident in Scripture. Again, as we said before, it turns it on his head and it gives us an expression in Scripture of how we experience good and bad. Again, to put it in that language, gives us an experience that reflects our mm-hmm. experience, that we know that our world is not a one-to-one input-output scenario but is far more complex in how we experience the world around us, that we're not born on an equal playing field. And because of that, we have access to things that maybe isolate us and protect us from some things that could harm us or, conversely, leave us vulnerable to things that might harm or hurt us along the way. It
0: reminds me of this this tweet that's going viral recently, and it says, me is depressed, reads Ecclesiastes, me, is depressed biblically, and then, and this just reminds me of kind of like, here, here we are confused by the way that the world works, and then we read Job, now we're still confused by the way that the world works, but biblically. Like, this is the same, right? Right.
1: We see our confusion. Yeah, we see our exactly. confusion in the text, and isn't that like there is part of that that's so frustrating especially if you've come from a tradition that says the bible has all the answers that you need i remember i used to have this book on my shelf it was a you know those books that are surprisingly heavy because they have like a really thick paper in them and it's just like why does this book weigh 15 pounds and (laughs) and i i had one of those it was probably the size of an index card but it was probably three inches thick It was called the Complete Bible Answer Book, and it had, like, tons of questions about the Bible with the answer, with air quotes for our listeners, um, to each question. Like, why do people say that evolution happened when the Bible says that creation happened in six days? Like, those kinds of questions and answers. But when you come from an environment that says the Bible has the answers to the world's toughest questions and you come to it looking for an answer to your deepest suffering and you read job and you get an answer that's just like either god doesn't care or you know you could take all of these conclusions away from it when in reality i think we need to be looking for our questions in the scripture not the answers to those you're right that when we
0: come expecting answers we we often just leave disappointed but I do think that we can come looking for ourselves in the text, like seeing the seeing the way that Job is kind of confused by his suffering, seeing the way that his wife is confused by her suffering, that's, that's seemingly related to his. I mean, we can see their confusion and we can see our confusion in that, that we can be confused too. why some people get away with stuff that we think they should never ever get away with and why the two year old is diagnosed with leukemia yeah
1: I just think when as we've said when we go to the bible looking for answers we will walk away disappointed or as has happened too often throughout our history we'll come away with answers that misrepresent God Mm. and harm God's people, God's beloved Mm. children, as a result. Because we were unwilling to embrace ambiguity, uncertainty, and mystery, and instead we're looking for something that spelled it out in a way that gave us something definitive and certain, and that just caused a lot of destruction. Job has some of the, the most difficult
0: Hebrew in all of the hebrew bible especially the the poetry section the actual prose like we just read for today's episode is is not too hard but when you get to the poetry it's like impossible Mm. and that has led some scholars to say that what job is is actually a vocabulary exercise Mm. and i just wonder if that isn't an attempt not to wrestle with the ambiguity of it And all the hard questions it presents. But to say, well, let's let's bracket the theological section. It's not meant to answer those questions. It's just a vocabulary exercise for Hebrew scribes. Mm -hmm. It can be both to me. It can both be a really good vocabulary exercise. And it can can also deal with, with the complexities and the ambiguities of life. I just think we need to pray. Yeah, me too. Will you pray with me? I'd love that. Gracious God, our struggles are not with Satan or with our own righteousness, nor are they signs of sinfulness or faithlessness, whether they're part and parcel of life in a world that's beset by fear, hatred, and greed. Help us to live into life's ambiguities, not demanding answers, but being assured by your gracious presence. With us. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week?
1: Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Bible because we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. The adversary answered the Lord from wandering throughout the earth. The Lord said to the (laughs) adversary, Sorry.
0: (laughs) Just your voice for the adversary.
1: (laughs) Okay, I tried to hold it together.